I'm Leonard Nimoy. Join me for In Search of... An Artemis! Hi everyone, this is John Heinz. Welcome to the podcast. Today, uh, Jim Gentili and I are flying solo on an unusual episode that is related to the election. Shelly and Peggy are on vacation. Is that what we would it's call this? It's a bonus this, episode. This is a bonus episode. Yeah, it's Just a bonus they episode. They can do bonus episodes. We can do bonus episodes. Okay, so this is a retaliatory bonus episode <laughs> for getting back at the, the, the VCs. And that does not mean venture capitalists. Um, it uh, means Viet Cong, as we all know. <laughs> it doesn't mean that either. And for those of you who have not been listening. Yes, it does. I'm sticking with it means Viet Cong. <laughs> all right, <story>. fine. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, it refers to the women doing a women episode, but uh, we, we they don't want to be called the women anymore. doing the women episode. I'm not sure that's any better. That's... Well, I know, but it's I don't like doing inside jokes that nobody gets, but. I don't know, whatever. I think um, given the size of the podcast listenership, all of everybody the jokes knows. are pretty inside. That's point. probably true, actually. That's but. probably true. That's true. All right. Well, what we're, how we're going to do today's podcast is a little bit different. I'm going to be, I'm, I'm playing host. Jim is playing guest because Jim, as always, is all seeing, all knowing, and yet utterly blind. Um, and he will provide <laughs> us with the guidance that only he can provide. Um, so I'm going to ask some questions about the 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 uh, the election, and we're gonna um, maybe go off on some tangents as we are wants to do. So, J- Jim, I guess here, here's my big question: Is uh, you've said it before? I want to know if you're still doubling down on it. Is Biden going to win? Tripling down on it. Tripling down on it. Yeah. So I did a recent analysis, as you know, the 538 website uh, does a. Has various information, including they have the average of all state polls. And if you look at the states where, according to the average of state polls, and bear in mind that we're talking about the average of polls, people tend to overreact one way or another to one poll that they see. Mm -hmm. But in the average of state polls, Biden has a a lead of 5% or better in the following states, Arizona, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Maine, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Washington, Wisconsin. In addition, the 538 has a bunch of states that they don't provide an average for because of the simple reason that there aren't enough polls state polls taken in those states. Mm-hmm. Most of the states that call in that category or one way or another are just pretty obvious which way they're going to go. There's a bunch of Republican states, but the de- the obvious Democratic states, D.C., Hawaii, Illinois, your home state, Maryland, my home state, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Mm-hmm. If you combine those states with mm-hmm. the states Biden has a five percentage point lead in, he has more than enough electoral votes to win. All right, so let me just push back and a that little bit means on the polls. There are six states where yep. nobody has a lead of five percentage points or more. Florida, Georgia, Iowa, North Carolina, Ohio, Texas. Biden doesn't have to win any of those states. Which ones? Florida, Georgia, yep. Iowa, North Carolina, Ohio, Texas. He doesn't have to win Florida. I thought you always had to win. Does Florida. not have to win Florida to win. Wow. The, the Republicans okay. Have to win Florida. No Republican has been elected president since 1924 without winning Florida. Democrats can win without winning Florida. Republicans cannot. Interesting. Okay, so that's that is what I heard. Well, so why do polls matter? I mean, my best why friend uh, Tom McGrath always says that you know Nate Silver's an idiot who screwed up uh, Hillary Clinton's election. Why should we trust him? Well. Uh, you know that I have a great deal of refec- affection and respect for Tom McGrath, but that's a misreading. Nate Silder, Silver is one of the few people who pointed out repeatedly and insistently the distinct possibility that there was this dis- that there was this break between the national popular vote and the possible electoral vote outcome, and he was one of the people who actually pointed that out. Uh, Why do polls matter? Well, they matter because they're information, they're indications of what's going on. We are recording this on Sunday, 
September 13th, which is 51 days before the election. Now, in 51 days, things can change. Things can happen in 51 days. But we have information on where things are now. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, The question is, what's likely to happen? We don't know, obviously, what's going to happen. If if we knew what was going to happen over the next 51 days, we'd be soothsayers. But, But we do know where things stand right now. That's what polls polls tell us where things stand right now. They okay, give us okay. or at least an approximation. All right, all right. It's our best guess. I get it. Well, how about the Senate? Let's talk about the Senate. So, what are the odds the Democrats are taking the Senate? Well, here's the situation in the Senate. The Democrats would need to pick up a net gain of three seats if they win the presidency and four seats if they don't win the presidency. They are probably going to lose a seat in Alabama that they won in a special election under extraordinary circumstances. Uh, and it appears that Doug Jones is pretty far behind and not going to win that one. They are very likely to pick up two seats. In fact, there are two Republican-held seats that seem pretty solidly likely to flip to Democrats. Those are Arizona and Colorado. They are ahead in at least two others. They are clearly they are ahead, but not by huge margins in Maine and North Carolina. So then you have a bunch of other seats where things are very close. For example, Iowa is a possible Democratic pickup. Uh, things are actually surprisingly close in South Carolina, in Georgia, uh, in Alaska believe it or not, in Kansas, believe it or not. So depending on what happens election Mm -hmm. night, Mm -hmm. uh, the Democrats are are very likely to pick up enough seats to take control of the Senate, especially if Biden wins. They they could end up with a 50-50 Senate with Biden as president, but probably if Biden wins, they're going to pick up a few of those other seats that are closely contested as well. Explain so. Explain that link a little bit. Why a Why are so many seats at play for the Democrats? And B Why are Why I mean, is Why are is so Biden, many re- Why are so many Republican seats at uh, in play for the Democrats to pick up? And why uh, is Biden's winning so inherently tied to the senatorial victories? Well, it's not necessarily tied, except and we don't know for sure. Except that in recent presidential elections. There has been a strong connection between performance in the Senate and the presidential outcome. That hasn't always been the case, but it has been in recent presidential elections. But look at it this way. Just things are tracking this way. Biden is running much closer, for example, than uh, Democrats have usually run in places like South Carolina, in Alaska, in uh, Georgia. And and there's even some thought, and Georgia is one of the states that right now, according to the 538 average of state polls, is mm-hmm. actually too close to pick a winner in the presidential election. Mm-hmm. That means that there's going that there's more people turning out voting Democratic at the top of the ticket. That helps the Senate case in a lot of these states. The Senate candidate is actually running stronger than Biden is because in a lot of those states, the Senate candidates are, you know, are tailoring their message uh, to the uh, constituency. So some of those states that might naturally be a little bit right of center, you have a right of center Senate candidate, Mm -hmm. uh, at least as far as the Democrats, right of the Democratic Party center. Who yeah. is pulling in votes? Um, yep. The Democrats which is a lot of generally those, which is have a lot done of those a, states. Generally, the thinking is that the Democrats have done a good job recruiting candidates to run for the Senate this year. Is one thing. Secondly, the Democratic fundraising and enthusiasm for Senate candidates has been high. If you'll mm-hmm. noted that during the Democratic primaries, the the turnout was very high at least until the pandemic hit, was record-setting in a lot of places in the Democratic primary, which which is often an indication of a lot of enthusiasm among Democratic voters. Now, we should qualify that by saying enthusiasm isn't necessarily 
enthusiasm for Joe Biden or something as much right. as it is enthusiasm against Donald Trump. Well, yeah, clearly that's the case. But if six of one half a dozen of the other, if it gets if if it results in a victory, so. Well, yes, as long as the enthusiasm against Donald Trump results in people voting for Biden as opposed to just not voting or uh, voting for a third-party candidate. Right, which we'll get to because I want to talk a little bit about Trump's strategy and whether, you know, his doubling down on the base is actually leading to repulsing enough people that they will come out and vote against him, even if they're maybe former Republicans or voted for him previously, or whether, uh, you know, he's people are going to be just turned off to the point where they're just like, I'm not voting. This this election sucks. Uh, we can talk about that. But I want to get to the House really briefly, because I don't think it's going to be as long of a conversation. But we talked about the presidency. You say Biden's winning. We talked about the Senate. You seem like it's highly likely the Democrats may be able to win it. I would uh, bet what about money the house? on it right now. You would um, bet money or would not, you said? I would bet money on this. You Senate. would bet money. Okay. And All the right, House good. doesn't seem to be in play. The Democrats are going to retain control. They may pick up a few seats to add to okay. their margin. All right. Well, so let's so let, let's so let's play out this uh this let's say the Democrats take the the Senate and the House keep the House and get the presidency. Uh, here's my big question. I I listened yesterday to uh uh, for the first time, I listened to David Plouffe. I don't know, Plouffe? Is that how you say Plouffe. his name? David Plouffe, who was Obama's campaign was a, manager. One of, one of his campaign uh, Yeah, big guys. I remember getting a lot of emails from David Plouffe back when right. Obama was running for president. It was like the first the first presidential run where I was starting to get emails constantly yeah. from, uh, from an election, and it was always from David Plouffe. I listened to his podcast yesterday, and he was uh, an old one that popped up in my feed as something you might be interested in. And he was interviewing Claire McCaskill, who I so that's another example. That's another example of genreification, right? Where they're telling you that you might like this because you like another yep. podcast. Yep, this yep. And it's the bottom of the Apple podcast feed where they're like, "You might." And it's actually interesting. It wasn't you'd be interested in this podcast. It's you might be interested in this specific episode of a specific podcast, which so I found interesting. even more micro targeting. Yeah, they're targeting the podcast based on uh, some algorithm of what I listened to. Yeah. So anyway, he interviewed Claire McCaskill. It was a long interview. The the podcast was almost, I think, two or three hours. And you know that uh, Claire, and and you know, and everyone listening hopefully knows that Claire McCaskill was a former uh, Democratic senator from the state of Missouri for two years. Right. Who is now an MSNBC commentator, I believe. He's frequently seen on MSNBC decrying the Trump administration. Yeah. So what I found interesting about that podcast, as opposed to 538, which I, which you and I both listen to quite frequently or regularly, uh, is he, they got really into the specific local races, including like, I mean, certainly senatorial races, which isn't local, but state races and the local races of certain counties around the U.S. that are, that are at play and what it means. But they also got into another area, which was Let's say, I mean, Claire McCaskill is obviously, you know, kind of very bullish on the Democrats winning everything. And they they started talking about what what would the Democrats do if Biden's president, they run the Senate? What is going to happen? Uh, So I want to hear a little bit of predictions there, Jim. Like, what are the first things that the Democrats would do if they were if they were in control? What would the first legislation that, they, for example, they would pass? Be? Before they would pass any legislation, in my opinion, they would have to tackle the very important subject of changing the rules of the Senate to abolish the filibuster as it currently exists. Ah, uh, Claire McCaskill was not... concerned about that. She said that she thinks if we do that, she she's in favor of it. Actually, David Plouffe was in Plouffe was in favor of it. She wasn't sure because she said that. She fears that the next time the Republicans are in control, they unquestionably will do some shenanigans and basically overturn Roe v. Wade effectively without the filibuster. She felt well, very strongly about that. Well, I mean, uh, this could be a whole podcast episode on the right, filibuster. Right, 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 right. Here are my feelings <laughs> right. on the subject. The filibuster has historically been used for nefarious purposes. And I don't mean nefarious like Claire McCaskill like is worried about. I mean nefarious like, you know, not giving civil rights to black Americans and Mm. uh, not passing an anti-lynching bill and things like Mm. that. So the idea that the historical record of the filibuster is counter to progressive thought. Secondly, except for uh, Jimmy Stewart, when he went to Washington, 
Well, yes, yes, except for <laughs> in in fantasy, not reality. Fantasy fiction. Yes, of, right. You know, uh, is that Frank so, Capra? Yes, Frank Capra. Mr. Yeah, Smith right. <laughs> but the reality is, it's anti-progressive. Secondly, just look at it. Just put aside the history. Progressives generally want to get things done. The filibuster prevents you from getting things done. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes yeah. conservatives want to get things done. Barack Obama, who is not a radical person in any respect of his life, in his personal life, in his philosophy, in the way he governs, has come out in favor of eliminating the filibuster. I okay. in my right. in my world mm-hmm. here is what you would have as a filibuster rule. The mm-hmm. filibuster rule a new filibuster be, rule. As a new filibuster rule is. Got it. If they, that there should be a rule that says that if you don't have the, the filibuster rule essentially is you have to have 60 votes in order to bring the legislation to the mm-hmm. floor. To okay? beat the filibuster. Right. In other words, to bring a bill to a vote, you have to have 60 votes. It doesn't mean mm-hmm. 60 people are going to vote for the bill necessarily. Right. It just means that. So right. the, I would do two things. I would do two things. I would, number one, say if you don't have 60 votes to bring the bill to the floor, the bill can still be brought to the floor, but you have to allow a certain number of amendments to be voted on. What often happens now, that this is never... This is rarely talked about, but another thing that's changed from the old ways to do things is that when bills are brought to the floor now, mm-hmm. they don't even allow votes on amendments. And so bills are either you take it the way it is or you don't. So, for example, let's say this uh, this federal aid bill that the Republicans are pushing. The Republicans are pushing a version of a federal aid bill they didn't bring it to the floor because they couldn't get 60 votes to bring it to the floor. Right. The Democrats are opposed it because they think it's too little. But mm-hmm. suppose you could bring that bill to the floor and the Democrats could propose amendments and say, let's increase the amount of money we're giving to states. Let's increase the amount of money we're giving to so-and-so or to whatever. And then each amendment gets voted on and by everybody? each amendment gets voted on. So that it's like a line item veto. No, it's not a line. It's it's the way legislation has been done in the United States for 200 years. When did that start? When did it stop? Well, when they started having that the filibuster became a routine thing where where it's a part of evolution where now the bills are pre – everything is pre-negotiated. There's no need to to have that be a rule then. It's already a rule. Well, except that – no, except that now basically the majority leader can essentially prevent – amendments from coming to the floor how because the majority leader has that authority okay got it okay so the uh this would uh, this would specify that there had to be at least now you can't if you have unlimited amendments then you essentially have a what they used to call a backdoor filibuster okay so you'd have to limit the number of amendments but you have to guarantee that there's a that there's an opportunity to you know uh, five or six or ten or whatever the right number the other thing I would do if you have a filibuster is you should have a filibuster rule anytime there is a lame duck session. In other words, a session between the election and the new Congress. Okay? So mm-hmm. anytime between, let's yeah. say this year, there yep. could be a lame duck session after November the swearing 3rd, before in. January 3rd. Yep. Okay? That's a two-month period. Why would you have a filibuster rule then? Because right. it, Why would you? Because it minimizes the possibility of the following that you then have, let's say this year, the Democrats win the control of the Senate in in uh, November, but then they don't take office till January. So then the Senate comes back in and passes a bunch of stuff. Okay, mm-hmm. even though it's not it would be it's opposed by the Democrats. Now, this year. It's probably not as it's not as big a risk because the Democrats control the House. the House. But suppose you had an election where both the Senate and the House changed hands. Yep. What you don't yep. want is that the outgoing House and Senate passes a bunch of stuff, even Got though it. the election results went against them. 
Got it. Makes sense. Okay. okay. All right. So, so those, those two, that's those how I rules. would change the filibuster rule. But All right. again, we could do a whole podcast right. on the filibuster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about it. All right, but let's keep going on, on uh, big things, on what else the Democrats will do. I'm curious okay. what would so they once, do next. Assuming, assuming they Biden change wins, the rules. The is, assuming yeah. they change the rules so that their majority in the Senate, even if it's a slim majority, is a majority, yep. is an effective majority. They have an enormous task in front of them. It's not unreasonable to say that it is the equivalent of the task that Roosevelt and the Democrats faced in 1933 when they came in. Uh, The first thing, obviously, is the pandemic situation. They have to address whatever the state of the pandemic is as of January of next year. What will they do? Well, there's going to be massive aid going to be needed to states. There's going to be a massive aid needed. Probably there may still be a requirement to boost testing. There may still be. We don't know what the state of the vaccine will be. There's going to be a massive requirement to figure out how we're going to put the vaccine or either continue to develop the vaccine or put the developed vaccine in the hands of people and make sure it's distributed. Uh, so that is the first priority, obviously. So There's, that's all stuff that's already kind of out in the air right now, but just hasn't been passed. Nothing new. You don't think they do anything? They they would do anything radical? Well, I don't know what they'll do. On the table. I don't know that what hasn't been on the table. Well, I I don't know what we don't know what the situation is. I just saw a thing uh, today where someone said that the way to effectively get the vaccine is to pay people to take the vaccine. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, that's an idea. Some people are right. apparently pushing. I just yeah, saw sure. that for the first time today. But anyway, we'll see. That's the first priority. The second priority is the economic. It, once you get beyond the economic stabilization is the economic rebuilding. That would probably mean the centerpiece of that is a huge, huge infrastructure bill, which is probably going to also contain some components of uh, the Green New Deal, that some of the infrastructure stuff is going to be focused on greener uh, going forward. Let me uh, let me mention. Let me ask you a question about that real fast. The, for, first of all, just recently, a couple of days ago, I've had uh, I had a very close family member mention to me that they that they've they've only recently noticed that the word infrastructure is being used a lot more and has been in the last X number of years than it had been in the past. It de- define infrastructure quickly. I, when well, I hear good, it, that, I picture that, highways and roads and that's maybe a good trains. question. It's actually broader than that. Uh, one of the problems that's not addressed because it's not as visible as highways and roads is that a lot of the and this is you, you get this example from Flint, Michigan. A lot of the pipes, the water and sewer piping in the United States is crumbling. That obviously sure. we don't see that like we see the highways and roads crumbling, but that's in many respects as serious or more serious a problem. Yep. So that is part of what we're talking about infrastructure. It's also potentially more mass transit. It's more emphasis on shifting uh, what we're doing to, a, like I said, a greener, more climate friendly Approach. Well, when the when the Republicans are talking about infrastructure, what are they talking about? They're basically talking about roads, highways, okay. and piping. What about like electrical data broadband? That could be part of it, and I suspect that when the Democrats do it, if the Democrats have full control over the process, that will be included in the process. So we're talking about if they they will pass it. You you yours you're kind of forecasting they will they will pass an infrastructure bill. That will be like what the equivalent of of the New Deal's Works Progress Administration, massive many, jobs many, program, many, many, many times bigger than that. Many times bigger than that, and that will include roads, highways, public transportation, water infrastructure. You know, water uh, piping, and sewer, electric include, broadband. Right. Um, it will 5G include probably the refurbishment United, of United ports States. and airports and various things like that. Okay, and who's going to pay for that? The government. <laughs> Since I know that's that'll be the number one, right? This is going to be the resurgence of the of the the Paul Ryan and the other kind of generic, uh, you know, whatever. Sure, free the Republicans who Republicans. haven't been concerned about the deficit for the past four years will all of a sudden become very concerned about the deficit. Exactly, again. exactly. That's very predictable. <laughs> exactly. Who weren't uh, concerned with the tax cuts? And right now, they concerned. shouldn't be concerned about the deficit. At some point, the, the, that concern might be legitimate, but right now, with with nine uh, percent unemployment, it's not a big concern. 
Um, what elements of the Green New Deal do you think will be part of this infrastructure? Well, what I, th- particular? I think that uh, emphasis on greener building and w- environmental friendly building. I think some of the money will be, for example, will go toward more solar. Okay. Uh, that will be part of it. So not like not there necessarily are, other a more, a more market green, solution yeah. like a cap and trade. Oh, it, well, that's um, a different. I don't think that'll be part of infrastructure. But I was going to say that. One of the priorities, so I wouldn't climate, say this I is guess. the next priority, but one of the priorities will be, A, re-enter the climate accord, pass some sort of market-based approach toward curbing emissions, encourage the development of uh, – some of this is infra, it could be part of infrastructure, and some of this will be standalone, a climate package. All right, well, let's come back to this. Let's come back to this. What's your third one? Your first – Okay, so the third one is, is election reform, a okay, new voting rights do? act. I think that ideally it will. Uh, what was wrong it, with the old Voting Rights Act? Well, uh, it will strengthen and resupport the Voting Rights Act. It will deal with the fact for federal elections, there should be uniform requirements for what is required to vote and processing. Like, for example, you may see uniform early voting throughout the states for it seems federal like elections. It's a Trump talking point that there's a problem with elections. The, Rep- the Democrat talking point about elections is like Russian interference. How is the Voting well, Rights no, Act going to affect well, Russian they, interference? Broadly speaking, that's, it's become obscured, but the Democratic talking point is that there are too many states where, which have passed laws to try to suppress what they use the word suppress. The other word, maybe a less, a more neutral word, is discourage voter turnout. And so, for f- the Democrat, the gerrymandering, not no, not gerrymandering. I'm talking about things like voter ID voter laws, ID. not okay. having early voting, making it harder. Yeah to vote, um, okay. reducing the number of polling places, things like that. And does that. the federal government Urging. have authority to do that? For federal elections, they do. For federal elections, got it. Okay. Now, in other words, theoretically, the states, for their state elections, for governor and legislature, could keep separate rules. The practice is that it that the thought is that it is unlikely they would do that be just because of the administrative hassle. But for federal elections, so one of the things you, you, you would have is you'd have uniform voting that would make voting generally a, a simpler, fairer, hopefully more secure process for everyone. The other part of that, by the way, could be, and this relates to the, quote, Russian interference stuff, is you could also have federal election mandate for ballot security and things like that. Like okay. some states don't have like a back don't or at least there's some concern that the concern may be overdone, but there's some concern about back. Do you have backups to protect in case there's hacking of them of the machinery and so forth? So you could have a federal mandated uniform, secure vote, best practices, voting security, you know, security of voting machinery and voting yep. counting. procedures. And if the feds are paying for it, the states will do it. Well, they don't have a choice for federal elections. No, I mean the feds will probably the states will. Oh yeah, there'll be, money. There'll, be money. there'll be money. There'll be money. There'll be money. All right, what's uh, next? Part of the economic package will also have to be, and it, it'll probably be addressed in the coronavirus is aid to states is to get the state and local governments off their knees because they're they are in bad economic shape right now. Yeah. So well, I mean, I mean, I'm going to get I to mean, this, but I want I want to get to the bad news soon. But I, but I, that, I think that's going to be the biggest one. That I, if the Republicans keep the Senate, that's I, I keep telling people in Illinois that like states like Illinois that have massive pension obligations are going to be screwed because there's just not going to be any money coming, uh, or at least not significant money. It's going to be the it's going to be a, a very interesting. It's going to be very different. Ugly if the, time. If, the, if Biden is president and the Republicans keep. But let's Senate, get to that. Well, let's get to that. We'll get to that in a minute. But I want to finish your list. I want to get through your list. What I mean, I want to know things that they, that we that you really think the, the Democrats will pass in, you know, whatever, in the time. I mean, I don't I s- know, but I think these are the things they're going to need to address. The The next thing is, prob- the next priority is probably going to be, uh, broadly speaking, political corruption stuff. Some of the stuff that the Trump administration has done cries out for legislative response. Uh, mm-hmm. s- for example, there may be legislation, I assume this would be part of a package, there may be legislation requiring presidential candidates to produce their tax returns. 
there may be leg there will probably be leg there possibly could be legislation for example that makes it clear that the white house can't be used for political events of any yeah, yeah yeah okay uh okay. there could be okay. legislation uh, to make the uh, Department of Justice an independent federal agency instead of part of the president's cabinet. Interesting. Wow. Uh, okay. And then that relates to, I fully suspect if the Democrats control the Senate, that during, and, and Joe Biden is president, that there'll be two Supreme Court vacancies. Right. That Justice Breyer and Ginsburg right. will step find down. that a propitious moment to step down. So that's obviously going to be important. The other thing that I think is very possible, if there is no filibuster and the Democrats control both the Senate and the House with Joe Biden as president, is both Puerto Rico and the District of Columbia will be made states, mm-hmm. which wow, has huge. the long-term effect of adding four more seats to the United States Senate, which potentially could be changes the game. blue-leaning seats, certainly yep. the District of Columbia and quite possibly Puerto Rico. Yep. And also adds more more um, numbers to the uh, Electoral College. And by the way, yeah. once that there is no precedent for once a state has been admitted to the union that somebody can come along and kick them out. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have uh, you have the filibuster, COVID infrastructure, economic bill, election reform, political corruption, Puerto Rico and DC are states. And let's not forget environment. The environment's very. Then I you mean, said climate accord, climate. right? And well, the, so but the climate, climate accord, accord and some sort of cap and trade or something like that, some sort of uh, thing. Right. And okay. Another thing that's going to have to be dealt with. All of this stuff is going to have to be dealt with in the first two years before the midterm right. election because you don't right. know what's going to happen. So right. so it's going to be it, like they used to say new, rush. that that Roosevelt had a first hundred days and a second hundred days. It's going to have to be that same approach of got there's going to have to be a mountain of stuff to got to be gotten through. Well, I uh, noticed you didn't mention I noticed you didn't mention uh, um, uh, antitrust reform or just breaking up big tech, breaking up Facebook I, or I data think that is unlikely to be a high priority. Interesting. Okay, so how? So, uh, uh, so you think that for just pay, paying for this because you're gonna? I mean, Biden's well, they'll be they'll be ta- Bernie, you know they'll be taxes. They're just gonna increases. increase taxes. They're okay. gonna increase taxes. It's gonna increase taxes. I mean, there's a okay. couple of things that uh, I mean. Let's just <laughs> let's just look at the recent historical record. Clinton increased taxes on the wealthy. Bush cut them. Obama increased them. Trump cut them. Guess what's gonna happen when Biden gets in? <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's become a football almost. Oh, one of the things that's going to undoubtedly be part of the economic package or a standalone bill is uh, raising the minimum wage. Yeah. Hmm. My guess is it'll be raised in steps. And my hope is just like Illinois did that what will happen is once they raise it, that they will then decide to index it so you won't have to go through these political battles in the future about right. raising it or not. It'll be right. indexed like Social Security benefits are indexed. Right. How about internationally? Well, obviously, the climate accord, you mentioned that the climate is the accord. one thing where even if the Senate stays in Republican hands, Biden will have a freer hand. He can rejoin the climate accord. Mm-hmm. Right. He can... Uh, repair relationships with a lot of our allies. A lot of our allies, the relationship will be repaired the instant Trump is no longer president. Just by the, just by subtracting Trump from the equation, I think you will see that France and Germany and a number of other countries that are our traditional allies will be much happier. We'll have so you're telling smiles. me I'll be able to take my son on vacation to visit well, friends in Spain and France. Assuming that we get this pandemic under control i think we will be able to do that okay um, all right let's let's talk about the bad news let's talk about the bad news so uh, let's let's go i just want to go a little bit down the the rabbit hole the, that we did if if let's say the senate does not change hands but biden wins yeah then what you're do you gonna have a what are we gonna have over everything okay so that's that's basically what we have in many ways what we have now in terms of there's not going to be any legislation there'll be a bunch of things that the presidency can do but there won't be very much in terms of well, about, I think like, some. Let's talk about will, the big one, like COVID or. Well, you know, I think there'll be some things that will get done. I think that 
get once the election is over, I suspect that that will, it will be easier to find a path to find a compromise on the COVID legislation. Right, because that's going to just be obvious what has to be right. done. I mean, I think you know there'll still be people who will not, you know, vote for it on the Republican side, but there'll be enough Republicans that it'll right. Plus, the other thing to bear in mind, and I mean, this isn't going to change the big picture, but will help on the margins, is Biden is genuinely liked by a lot of people in the Senate, even a lot of the Republicans like him. Right, right. So, I mean, are they going to just fold up their ideological tent and go home? No, but it will help in some marginal ways to make things... the Republicans, no one is going to say this out loud, but they are going to find it easier to deal with Biden than to deal with Trump. They're of not course. going to agree with him as much, but they're going to right. find it easier to deal with him. Right. And so in he knows some how respects, the game is played. You know, yeah. I mean, in the, well, for one thing, they'll just know that Biden will stick, you know, will say this is what I'm going to be willing <laughs> do to it. do and will stick to it, whereas Trump frequently would say one thing and then change his mind and leave the Republicans in a, in a quandary. So yeah, there's, I mean, in some respects, again, there'll be dead, there'll be broadly speaking deadlock and these big, big picture questions won't be dealt with, but in terms of the, the day-to-day functioning, things will probably function a lot more smoothly even with a Republican Senate and a Democratic president than they will be right now with a Republican Senate and this particular Republican president. Well, do any of the priorities that you mentioned that the Democrats would be doing if they controlled both houses and the presidency, will any of those get done in some form? You mentioned COVID. Uh, will any of them, obviously the filibuster won't go away, but the, um, the, 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 you know, econ- an economic bill or some kind of infrastructure Well, the bill. interest, I think that, some there 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 may be some infrastructure in a more narrow sense, probably with less of the sort of forward-looking green elements to it, mm-hmm. is something that could be done with a Democratic uh, president or Republican, because there is a lot there is some a lot of Republican. I mean, the infrastructure is the kind of thing that is genuinely yeah, it's spending bipartisan. It's, it's, well, it's, money's, but money's plus, flowing. Plus, to, Republicans to... use the roads too, right? Republicans drink the water too, right? So, right there now, there's there's been various arguments about how we pay for it and paying for it becomes an issue. But I, generally speaking, that those arguments tend to get overridden. But yes, I think that there are some things that could get done. The more far-reaching, like the like doing it, the the emphasis on green infrastructure would be lost, but infrastructure could still be done. The one of the interesting things that would come into play would be what would happen in terms of Supreme Court vacancies if you had a republic. Let's say it's like a fifty one forty nine Republican Senate. Would they approve Biden if he nominated uh to replace Obama. his vacant Supreme Court justice? That's an interesting unknown. Right. I'm trying to figure out, I mean, the... What, I'm it depends try, on I, who as, the 51 is. Like, uh, let's say Susan Collins, who is behind now in Maine, mm-hmm. is reelected narrowly. Mm-hmm. She is someone that might well support a Biden nominee for the Supreme Court, mm-hmm. even though she's a Republican. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there uh, anything... So I, is there anything that we're not hearing now being bandied about with Trump and the Republican Senate and the Democratic House that we you think we would hear if the Republicans kept the Senate, but Biden wins? The I mean, I don't know what you mean by that. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking either. I mean, it sounds like a lot of the things you're talking about are the things we're already hearing are being discussed, but probably but we know won't be passed like, you know, some kind of aid package, whatever, whether it's one trillion or three or whatever the the. The, the, the I mean, I think the, right the uh, look. Are there the, any new things that? Well, that... but I think that uh, all a lot. Of, listen, if they passed all the stuff we're talking about, uh, in addition to COVID and immediate economic relief, if they passed, you know, elements of the Green New Deal and a big infrastructure passage, if they address 
climate change to something like cap and trade, if they actually reform voting rights, if they admitted D.C. and Puerto Rico as states, if they uh, did political corruption reform, uh, those would all be, that would be huge. Oh, I, we haven't even gotten to, and these are also things they would need to get done. Immigration reform, that's a big mm. one. Yeah. And uh, further reform of health care. They're yeah. going to, you yeah. know, expand Obamacare. Yeah. So if they did yeah. all of those that things will be, in that'll two be the years, public option. That is, well, I mean, there's various ways, but some form. Basically, what is going to happen, I think, where, where it's headed to is, they're going to increase the Medicaid expansion. One of the ways, and this may tie in with uh, fiscal relief for the states, there's been a proposal floated for the idea for the federal government to take over fully paying for Medicaid. Mm. Wow. Medicaid is a big cost uh, item for a lot of state budgets. How is it funded currently? It's paid partially by the federal government and partially by the state government, which is why there are variances from state to state in Medicaid levels. Well, that was so, part of Obama, Obamacare, right? Obama, the, the Affordable no, Care Act, the, there was buying did, into but, the but that's why the states expansion have the, of Medicaid. Have the, have the option of opting out of the expansion because they right. pay part of it. Right. So if the federal government completely took it over as a no totally as a no federal one would opt program, out. it would, first of all, it would solve that problem because there would no longer be the state opt-out. Secondly, it would relieve a massive part of a lot of state budgets. So in terms of fiscal relief for states, it's a form of fiscal relief for states. And it would then make a more uniform option. And then you make, can make further expansions. You could further raise the eligibility for Medicaid. But I think that the other piece of that is probably they're going to say people who aren't covered by Medicaid and people who aren't covered by Medicare and who don't have private insurance would be automatically enrolled in a private health plan and they could they'd have to affirmatively opt out mm -hmm. and that's what well, so so it, uh when i was listening to david bluff and actually no it was a different podcast there was it was the argument on the new york times podcast called the argument which right. they had a special episode i don't know if you heard it with uh three latino um a latino uh editor a writer from the new york times and then they had a former reagan Latina um, executive uh, kind of being the conservative voice. And then they had a, a fundraiser in Texas, a Latino fundraiser for Bernie Sanders in Texas. Uh, the three of them were kind of discussing the election and the Latino vote. And one of the things they were talking about was the, the, um, the, the significance of a big victory for Biden versus a close or almost just a, a skin of his, you know, chin or hair on his chin victory. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know if I'm not using the idiom right, but you know what I'm talking about. A close victory for, for Biden. Uh, talk about that a little bit. What, well, what does obviously, it mean? a bigger victory probably means bigger margins in the Senate and the House, which gives you more room for error. Uh, so that that is one thing. I mean, you do have to bear in mind that there are you know, Democrats elected in the House and some elected in the Senate who want to get reelected and they would be nervous about the most far reaching changes. But in my opinion, the Democrats, if they have the majority, even if it's a narrow majority in the Senate, and they have to swing for the fences and they have to swing for the fences in the first two years because there's no guarantee beyond that. And there is no political value in the long run to taking timid steps the first two years because they may never have more chances again. If you can fault Obama's presidency on anything, it's not being bold enough in during the first, the first two, years. two years of his of his he they did Before get Kennedy Obamacare passed, which was huge, but they they really needed to swing more for the fences because they didn't. They lost the house after the first two years, and that pretty much put the clamp on them being able to do anything bold after that, at least legislatively. Mm -hmm. So, they you really have to swing if you've got if you've got control of the house, senate, and the presidency. You have to swing for the fences, and mm -hmm. let the chips fall where they may. The likelihood is 
that the initial there will be initial sort of instinctive reaction. There may be an, an instinctive negative reaction by the public to, that all, there's too much being done too quickly and there's too many. And, you know, there's a, there's the fear of change comes into play and that and there's almost always a vote against the president's party in the first midterm elections. OK, so you've got to just say that's going to happen. We're going to swing for the fences. And our confidence is that by doing all these things, that the long run benefit is going to outweigh. The other thing I got to point out is that if you if you make two more states that have a good chance of being blue, you're affecting a structural change that can't be undone that you know may, may help at the margins. If you have another close presidential election, having those additional electoral votes can make a difference. If you have a close, if it's close for control of the Senate, having four more senators that may be blue senators can make a huge difference. So that's that that goes to the uh, the reality that Trump won last time with not a majority of the vote, but the majority of the electoral college. Right. And that, it goes that, to that. that but it also goes it also goes to the control of the Senate. If the, right now the de- the the Republicans control the Senate, 53 to 47. Let's just say for the sake of argument that D.C. and Puerto Rico were states right now and they each had two Democratic senators. And by the way, I don't think it's a given that the Puerto Rican senators would always be Democratic because the the Hispanic vote, unlike the uh, African-American vote, uh, is much more in play between the two parties. Let's mm-hmm. just say that broadly, mm-hmm. the Latino mm-hmm. vote. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, let's just say, for the sake of argument, there are four Democrats. So now the control of the Senate is 53 to 51. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a big difference. Yeah, it's close. We'll talk a little bit. Talk a little bit about the other um, uh, topic I've heard referred to a lot, or a concern I'm hearing referred. It's not just Russian interference, but it is the idea that, um, that you know information getting to voters, whether it's it is coming at them from different non-traditional ways more than ever. That really Facebook is controlling <laughs> how people get their news, or a large portion of people get their news, and the the information that's getting the the, the uh, this that won't the the lack of good information on uh, getting to people or reliable information getting to people uh, facts even um, either because of Trump and Trump's tweeting or because of just the nature of tech and the way we get news now. When has there been a time in history when quote the majority of people had access to good information? Well, that's the but that's the question. I mean, things. Well, okay. Let, maybe I should back up. You, you, I, I mean, you, you surely you recognize the majority of people are getting information differently now than they were twenty years sure. ago. Okay, I agree. so so and and there's a lot was of it, uh, all right. Here's the question: criticism that's of big tech. Of that, was it better twenty years ago? Well, I don't know if it's better. I don't know if they're making it better or worse. They're just saying it. Well, I mean, I would argue that twenty years ago it was. Uh, you know, you were getting information from a few media outlets that were interpreting it, and we were only seeing them. And now we're seeing a lot more media outlets, right. some of so which is are that completely better fake. Or that worse? Yeah, right. Exactly. I'm not sure, but I do think. But I, I guess it's just different. It's a, it's, it's decidedly different. Yes, it's, uh, it's, it's an entirely different, different game. Right. And uh, I guess my question is how, what is, I mean, it, it sounds to me a little bit like you're saying there's there'd be no effect on the election in terms of. The, I didn't say that the, there's the no effect, effect on the election. Of, the, of that difference. Okay, so that's my question: is what's the effect on the election? Well, obviously, the media changes. Obviously, or... you have to adjust how you try to reach voters to use these different tools, and you know, campaigns are doing that. Parties are trying to do that. Hmm. Okay, so it doesn't I mean, go to an October I mean, you know, surprise on the part of Trump. We, we've seen this movie before when radio <laughs> came into being. Don't you think that had a tremendous effect on political campaigns? Mm-hmm. And what about when television came into being? Right. Well, there weren't deep fakes then. I mean, the well, I've but, seen a I couple mean, of these it, lately. But you're are... saying what you say. But look, there's always been heavily partisan misinformation distributed yeah. to people. Yeah. 
in the 19th century, most newspapers were decidedly, which is how people got their information, were decidedly partisan. The model of sort of, you know, the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal news pages being rigorously or at least attempting to be rigorously nonpartisan, that didn't that didn't exist for the most part in the 19th century. Well, let me pivot a little bit and ask you about about Trump's strategy. One of the the um, this is a, points I I heard from Nate Silver on his last episode was that Trump's basically got a bad strategy, which is to double down or triple down on his base, and and Nate's like, hey, his base isn't enough to win the election, uh, and basically the 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 takeaway is. Trump's strategy is bad. I find that a little bit of a dubious argument just because I'm like, the guy's got an organization, even if he's not the sharpest crayon in the, you know, in the box. I mean, uh, do you buy that argument that like basically his this that's his strategy, triple down on his base and, you know, try to eke by in the electoral college um, and that's it? Or and, and and it's a failed and it's it's going to be a failed strategy, or is there do you have a different interpretation from Nate Silver? I have a slightly different, I guess I have a slightly different interpretation. I don't think Trump has a strategy. I think there is a, there are probably some people working for the Trump campaign who are sharp and who understand how the elections are won. I think that they don't have control over what's going on. I think Trump has control, and Trump is, as we all can see, an extraordinarily undisciplined individual. Mercurial. I like mean, being when generous. I originally thought of this podcast, I thought we were going to talk about like the Woodward book and the Atlantic article, which is what I really think is interesting because the last two weeks of the Trump campaign have been disastrous from a campaign perspective. It doesn't mean, for example, that Trump has lost like huge amounts of support, but here you... You have a political campaign right now, as we speak, on Sunday morning, September 13th, with 51 days to go. Trump mm -hmm. is behind. He was behind two weeks ago, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. he has to start gaining ground, right? So right. the last two weeks have been, at best, him being on the defensive. You don't gain ground by being on the defensive. Why is he on the defensive? It's all, you know, the Atlantic article, you'd say, well, we had no control over that. That story came out, blah, blah, blah. The For the Woodward listeners who are unfamiliar, the Atlantic article. inflicted right, wound. Right, right, right. So the Atlantic article is the article where uh, an, an unnamed source said that, said reported, sources, but credible. But yes. Sources, unnamed sources said that he called uh, veterans losers who, what, what, what was in it for losers them? And and losers for, and suckers. Losers and suckers or something. Right. And the Woodward book was... From what I'm hearing, was an interview that Trump gave with Woodward. No, 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 no. We, we got to be very clear about that. Okay. So, so Bob yeah. Woodward, who is the epitome of the insider Washington establishment, <laughs> and I'm not a big Definitely. fan of Bob Woodward. I think there's lots of questions to be raised about Bob Woodward, but yeah. So Bob Woodward has does his thing now is he does books about he did four books about Bush and a couple about Obama. He's already done one about Trump and he reflects basically whatever the the Washington establishment is consensus is in his books. And basically he he gets a lot of top level people to talk to him either anonymously or on the record. And uh you know he has access. So he did a Trump book, which bashed Trump and, you know, you know, was a bestseller or whatever that means. And uh, but, it, you know, it didn't really affect Trump. It didn't, you know, you know, after the Bob Woodward book came out, did, you know, Trump all of a sudden go into a nosedive politically? No, because basically it reinforces the opinions that people already have them. So. Trump, Woodward's doing so another he wrote, book. He wrote about, another book, he's, right? He's doing yeah. another book, right? So based on he interviews asked with Trump. Trump for an interview, right. and Trump says yes, right. which is his first mistake. Right. But then beyond that, he starts having taped phone conversations. He had a total of 18 taped, on tape, by his agreement, <laughs> phone conversations with Bob Woodward. Right. Okay. So how in the, there is no political operative, left, right, or center, who is going to think that is a good idea? Right. Why did he do it? Because if he's he is he's undisciplined. He's hubristic. 
and you know he's a, he's a child. Well, but he retaliates against people who say bad things. So about what him. is he going to do to Bob Woodward? Things. So the idea is Bob Woodward was that Trump was sufficiently flummoxed by Bob Woodward's fame, if you want to call it that, that he gave the interview despite the fact that it was against his interest. Because Trump doesn't, Trump, you know, this idea that Trump is this super clever political operator is is a, is false. He's just he's a he's a he's literally a child. He's driven by his appetites. He has no character, and forget about his politics. He's just he's you know he's driven by his appetites. He reacts you know he reacts with petulance and. And and he thought he was going to charm Bob Woodward. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what he thought, yeah. apparently, that yep. he was going to charm Bob Woodward. And yep. so he made all sorts of admissions on February 7th, a month before the the quarantine started happening in the United States. He told Woodward that the virus was airborne and it was going to be much worse than the flu. Right. And he's on right. tape. So it's right. not so if Woodward published this book and said all these things, Trump could just say, "Oh, that's fake news. It's a lie." Right. But he's on tape saying it. Well, he yeah, you know, he was on tape saying lots of things, and then he still says it's a lie. That's not no. He's, he's not. Say, he's he now he's 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 he now saying he here's his, his defense. He he no, his said. defense is that he didn't. The reason he didn't say this publicly is because he didn't want to panic people. Yeah, right. Right. So so you're you think the Bob Woodward book is is uh is a is a pivotal point in the uh, in the I campaign. think the fact that Trump is on tape saying that is first of all it's very it it lost him a week of the campaign because all the focus is on the Bob Woodward book and the Atlantic article. Lost him really 2 weeks of the campaign. And I think that who is at play in this election? There are people for example, who let's say that you have people who are more or less conservative, but don't, you know, care for Trump. This is the kind of thing that is either going to make them more likely to vote for Biden or more likely not to vote for president. Right. 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 Okay. So let me, uh, let let me, the, the idea that he has a strategy, the, I think that the indication, the, 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 the thing you were putting your finger on, it, the Republican convention was a very carefully, you know, the virtual convention was very carefully planned. It had, all, you know, various, you know, very diverse group of speakers. It was designed to show inclusiveness. It was the kind of thing that a political operative would plan to run a general election campaign. But... Right. Trump himself is incapable of staying on that script. Hmm. He's just not capable of doing that. So right. no one's going to remember the Republican convention. Nobody remembers it now. Two weeks. Well, later. not that many people watched it compared okay, to the Okay, but, but my point is, let's say you picked up on that and you you pitched the campaign like that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, because I mean, ideally. You you have the convention sets the tone, and then the campaign follows along that road, right? Mm-hmm. But Trump is Trump is just going to say whatever he wants to say, and the idea that there's some grand strategy behind it is uh, is baloney. So the idea that he has a bad strategy, he has a bad strategy in the sense he doesn't have a strategy. He says whatever he feels like saying. His feeling is that you know this, and and really what. If you want to say the Republicans have a strategy is the Republican strategy is to scare people that uh, a Biden presidency equals more violence and looting. Yeah. And that's yeah. their that's their one argument no, they it's, have. It's the lowest. Yeah, they're going low. That's going their one argument. This is from yeah. the man who said he didn't want to say anything about the coronavirus because he didn't want to scare people. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean somebody hopefully is listening to that, and I hope it's these it's these swing voters you're talking about because that's it seems. Well, it seems I mean, clear it, to me. look, at but heart, people who look, are in his base aren't hearing that. Right. They're, the that'll never Trump, get to them. The, tr- that's the reason why we are not in a fifty-fifty posture right now, which is probably what we would be otherwise, is because of the coronavirus. 
Right. Because he and because Trump, of people Trump's do like handling support, of it. People support Trump the economy. Trump gets very poor ratings, much poorer than his overall rating and much poorer than his rating in the head-to-head with Biden on a handling of the coronavirus. The yeah. coronavirus could have been a positive asset, which could have helped seal his reelection if he had handled it properly. But he handled it so poorly. Now, are any of these revelations going to help people think he did a better job handling the coronavirus? No. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's do last thoughts. The uh, what do you think? Uh, what, what's the what's something that you think is that nobody's seeing coming and is going to be coming in the next before the election? What's going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> what does that mean? Nobody's seeing coming. I, I will say this. I think we're going to know on election night who won the election. Ah, well, that so you think it's going to be a big win because of all not, the mail-in votes. I think it's going to be a lot closer to 2008 or 2012 than it is going to be to 2016. Okay, good. All right. On that note, I think we'll stop. The uh, we um, if you have any comments about the um, uh, comments about the election, we will revisit this topic in the comment section of a future of a future episode, which will certainly come out before the election. Um, and uh, Please send us a voice memo. You can uh, it's in in search of an argument at gmail.com or you can go to our website in search of an argument.com. Uh, you can also always comment on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, uh, in iTunes, in Google Podcasts, or I don't think that's you can right. You can, you can be part of the misinformation on any of those platforms. You feel free to comment <laughs> to any of us. Join us, and we will we will we pay we we pay scrupulous attention to every comment that we get, and we uh and in and, fact and try to we might even read it on the air. We, I I'd put money on it actually, and uh and we we especially want to hear if you have something that's you know a, a, an opinion that differs from Jim or myself, and we do. Uh, we'll we'll talk for sure. We'll, we do. We'll talk about it um jim any last thoughts nope goodbye all right well thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon bye